If you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, we have been studying through the Gospel of Luke as a church community, particularly looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus and, and who he is and what he means to our lives. Luke is taking us into a section of scenes from the life of Jesus, a section of stories where we see Jesus healing people. We're going to see him healing people at the story we look at this week, next week, and over the following four weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus, our wounded healer. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. I want to read it to you, have you read along with me, and then we will talk about what it means. Before we do that, I want to give you a question for you to think about. I want you to think about where do you stand in relation to this question. What do you think about sickness? Probably a question you've never been asked before, but, but what do you think about sickness? I find most people fall in one of three different camps. First camp is the camp where sickness is just a natural phenomenon, a natural part of life like eating and breathing and sleeping. It just is what it is. People get sick and you try and take medicine and some people get well and some people don't. It just is what it is. Now you can hold this belief and have no faith in God. You could, you could say, well, this is just kind of the natural way things work. Or you could have a belief in God and kind of think of him as like a watchmaker that created the world and created the universe and set it into existence. And now just letting the watch play out. He's not really engaged, not really involved, not really attentive to anything or let alone sickness. Maybe that's where you find yourself. There's another camp, camp two, uh, that believes that sickness is real. It's painful. And if there was a God who was good and powerful and loving, then surely he would do something about sickness. And because it doesn't seem like he has, then either God is not good, loving, or powerful, or he doesn't even exist at all. And there's much pain in considering that topic. Uh, there are many in history that have landed there because of different sicknesses that they've been through or their family members been through, and you might find yourself there. There's a third camp that sees sickness. There's a meaning behind it. It's, it's a lesson to be learned, or it's a test that, that the fates or the cosmos or God is giving you. The Greeks and the Romans believed that sickness was part of your fate. If you, that was assigned to you, that was your lot in life for you to endure through. More Islamic theology and some Christian theology as well as Jewish see sickness as a test that God gives us to test who we are and to maybe even discipline us or a lesson that he's trying to teach us. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's what you think about sickness and just the kind of the idea of, of being sick. Think about where you are, what camp are you in. What we're going to see today is we're going to see Jesus's perspective on sickness. We're going to see what Jesus thinks about sickness. And I want to remind you as we read that Christianity would hold out that it's not just Jesus, a wise teacher, uh, an influential leader, but Christianity would say that when we've seen Jesus, we've seen the face of God. That in looking at Jesus and seeing his perspective on sickness, that we're looking into the face of God, our creator himself, and seeing what God thinks about sickness. 
So let's read together Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening. That was his famous sermon that we spent the summer studying through. When he finished that sermon, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum was a city in Israel. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, Jesus, because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends. So first he sends a delegation of his religious buddies. Now he's sending a second delegation of his friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at the centurion and turned into the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Verse 10, then the men who had been sent to Jesus returned to the house and found the servant well. So that's our story that we're looking at today. Uh, I've told you before that Luke is like a, a film writer or a filmmaker. He's taking scenes in the life of Jesus and he's trying to bring us into them. He's trying to help us see and connect and learn. Scholars say that he went and got eyewitness accounts. They even believe he might have just interviewed the centurion to whom this happened. There's so much detail in this story. And he starts out by talking about the setting. If you'll look in verse 1. We see that the setting is Capernaum. Capernaum was a city in ancient Israel. It's still there today. But in the times of the Roman Empire, it was situated on a large highway that ran from Egypt in the south to Syria in the north. And it would run through the length of Israel, and it would be a place where news would happen. Think similarly to, to Dallas with 35 running through the middle. It was a place where news was brought to and then passed on from kind of a communication hub for ancient Israel. This is a city that Jesus is going to go to on a repeated basis. It seems he had a sense of, of calling and of mission to Capernaum. He's already been there in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke tells us now that he's returning to this city. One of the main characters in this story today is the Roman centurion. A Roman centurion was a soldier, and not just kind of a, any soldier. This was a soldier who led other soldiers. He was a leader of soldiers. Centurions oversaw a hundred other soldiers. That's that prefix century, centimeter, one cent, that hundred idea. He's overseeing a hundred other soldiers. So it's known that centurions to have this role have a leadership gift on their life. I mean, you think about it today. There's not many people in the world they have the type of leadership gift to be able to oversee a hundred other people, let alone to be able to lead them into battle or out of battle or make decisions in the heat of battle. So centurions were accomplished leaders. Uh, it's thought that this centurion is not Jewish. It would have been more natural for him to be Roman, a foreigner, 
And so Jews had a disdain for Romans because they were occupied by the Roman Empire. And they considered Romans as outside the reach of God. So he was an outsider. He was not a man of, of Israel. He was stationed there as a centurion. We also learn that he was a man of character, that he was generous, that he was loving. He, being kind of a ruling class, treated well the minority people group of the Jews. He loved them. And out of his own pocket, out of his own means, he helped fund the development of their synagogue. He was a generous man. He was a philanthropist. So that's the main character in the story that we see. And we see in verse 2 that this centurion, though he has a lot going for him, though he's very accomplished, though he's very impressive, he's also in the midst of crisis. That he has a servant who is very near and dear to him. And that word servant there is also used many times in the New Testament to describe a son. So whether it's a, a, a biological son or a servant that was like a son, there is someone near and dear to this centurion who is sick. And not sick with the flu or with a cold, but sick with something and is about to die. And if you've ever been through a life-threatening sickness or you've had a family member or someone close to you go through a life-threatening sickness, you know the anxiety, the angst, the pain, uh, the, the, the fear, the hopelessness that the centurion would have been in. And he's trying to figure out, what do I do? So this is important to see. Though he looks like everything to, is together on the outside, accomplished, professionally strong, affluent, yet there's a problem going on in his life. In his home, there's chaos, there's calamity, there's uh, someone near and dear on the verge of death. So if you look in verse 3, it tells us that the centurion heard of Jesus. So we see that the way that he found out about Jesus was through hearing from someone else. He didn't learn about Jesus through kind of a Facebook ad or a YouTube video, as good as those things might be. He didn't find out about Jesus in a bookstore. He had heard someone whose life had been uh, impacted by Jesus sharing the testimony of what Jesus had done. You see, Jesus has already ministered in Capernaum before. In Luke 4, we see Jesus at work in Capernaum. Uh, Luke 4, 41, 40 and 41, in the city of Capernaum at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, Jesus healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. So we see in Capernaum, Jesus already ministered there. There's already many who have been healed through his ministry. There are many who have been delivered from uh, demons. And one of them carried the testimony to the centurion and shared what had happened. Now think about this. I imagine that that was quite a risk. I imagine that that was kind of a step of faith to look at him and be like, well, he looks like he has it all together. Looks like he's very successful, very affluent. Uh, you know, most people would say he's outside of the reach of God or has no need for God in his life. But someone took a risk to share their testimony of what Jesus had done in their life with the centurion. We don't know if it's before the time of need or if he's during the time of need and someone shared it, but someone took a risk and shared their testimony. And that stuck with the centurion. He had heard about the healing power of Jesus. 
And in this hopeless situation, that testimony gave him hope. He was like, my servant may be about to die. My son may be about to die. But if I can get to Jesus, maybe Jesus can do something. I point that out to you because if you are in Christ, you too have a testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. You have a testimony of how God has worked in your life that's important that's valuable, and that we need to steward well. How many of you know there are countless centurions around our city that look like on the outside they're very accomplished, yet in private places in their life they're experiencing calamity? And if we'll be faithful to steward and to share our testimonies, It doesn't mean that you've arrived. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you know all the answers, but it does mean that you've encountered Jesus in a real and life-changing way. And he's brought hope and healing to your life. And when you share that, God uses that to bring hope and healing to others. You might be here today and you might be that centurion. You might be like, I'm doing good at my job. I'm doing good here. I'm doing good financially. You know, I've got all this. But there's this area that I'm just falling apart in. And you may be here because someone stepped out and shared their testimony with you. And we want to believe with you that as a centurion encountered Jesus' healing, that you will encounter his healing as well. So let's continue uh, in our story. So the centurion sends these guys to Jesus, having heard of Jesus, He sent some elders of the Jews. We're in verse three. So he reaches out to his religious buddies. He doesn't know what to do. He hears about this religious healer. And he's like, man, I'm going to call the religious people I know and see if they can go to Jesus and kind of see if they can get Jesus to help me. I don't know if he will, but I'm going to see if they can do that. So the elders go to Jesus and the centurion has a specific request that Jesus would come and would heal his servant. This word healing means more than just a physical healing, although it does encompass that. It means to save someone and to make someone whole. So it's a holistic type of healing. And it's this type of healing that marks the ministry of Jesus. As we read the story, if you're like, yeah, I feel like I've read these kind of stories before. It's because they're over and over and over again in the Gospels. In fact, in the Gospels, there are 71 stories of Jesus healing people. 72, rather. There are 41 distinct stories. Sometimes they overlap, Matthew and Luke and Mark. They overlap a little bit, but there's 41 distinct stories. And many of those are like the ones we just read, where it says they brought a whole city to Jesus and he healed everybody there. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus, for Jesus, healing was not his side hustle. Any of y'all have a side hustle, right? He wasn't like a teacher by day who sold essential oils by night. He wasn't like a programmer, you know, by day. He's got his real estate license and is dabbling, you know, in investing in real estate on the side. Like this isn't Jesus' side hustle. I like side hustles. I just want you to see this wasn't Jesus where he's like, well, by day, I'm a religious teacher, but on the weekend, I heal people. No, this was a central passion, a central focus, a central priority in the life of Jesus over and over and over again. As I've been reading through Luke, I'll be honest with you, there are so many healing stories that I've been like, how am I going to preach a message on healing again and again and again and again and again? 
And it's like the Lord is saying, that's the point. I want to convince you. I want to let this wash over you again and again and again. My perspective on healing. Jesus is teaching us that sickness is not a natural part of life. That's actually an unnatural part of life. It's not part of the world that God designed and it's not part of God's plan for redeeming the world. And we see Jesus over and over and over coming against sickness. He's not the distant watchmaker that just kind of set into existence and took off. No, he came in the flesh and he's entered into the pain and the sickness of humanity. And he's bringing healing again and again and again and again. Jesus is not the the God that doesn't have power over sickness. He has power over sickness. He's not the God that's not good enough to heal. He heals and heals and heals. Again and again and again. Jesus uh, is not, he doesn't come across anyone and say, well, that's just your fate, buddy. Just your fate. You're, you, you, you know, you've got this um, leprosy. Just your fate. Deal with it. He doesn't come to anyone and do that. He doesn't come to anyone who asks him for healing. And he says, well, actually, I know what you did on March 7th, 2010. And you know, too. And this is your punishment for that. He doesn't do that to anyone. Wow. He, he doesn't, for anyone who comes to him looking for healing, say, well, actually, there's a lesson being taught to you. And it's not done yet. So come back in two years and then I'll do something about it. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't just heal people's physical bodies. We'll see him healing people's hearts. We'll see him healing relationships. We'll see him healing uh, mental health. We'll see him healing all sorts of things. He actually has a mission to heal the whole world. Jesus' healing is not just for one person here, the, the, the servant of the centurion, a person here or a person there. Literally, Jesus is healing the whole world. God's heart is for healing. He's healing the planet. And we see this desire breaking in in the life of Jesus. And it's real and it's powerful. But it comes to completion at the resurrection of the dead. That Jesus is not just healing a person for a moment and a person here, but he's healing all of us. And he's making a new world, a new heaven and a new earth where you and I are going to have new bodies. I put in a request for LeBron James version. You're going to have new bodies. Relationships are going to be restored. There's not going to be sickness. There's not going to be weeping. There's not going to be pain. We're going to be made new. Jesus is bringing healing to the whole world. That's Jesus' perspective on healing. And so he's done this so much and he's prioritized this so much and he's pursued this so much that the, that the centurion knows, hey, go ask him and see if he'll heal my servant. Remember, when we're looking at the face of Jesus, we're looking at the face of God himself. I'll be honest with you, it would be easy. It's easy for me to believe that sickness is just a natural part of life. Just is what it is. Deal with it. It's easy for me to believe that God is the cosmic watchmaker that just sets the world in motion and takes off. That's easy for me to believe. It's easy for me to get angry or disappointed when things don't happen like I want to. And we see sick people and they're not healed. And just be like, God, why would you not do this? That's easy for me. It's easy for me to say, well, sickness is part of your fate or sickness is meant to teach you a lesson or sickness is because you did this and now God's punishing you. Those things would be easy. 
when you keep looking at Jesus and you keep seeing his heart for healing, that the will of God is to heal people, man, this is deeply confronting. It's deeply challenging. It's deeply, like for me this week, as I've been thinking about this and meditating on this and praying about this, I've found myself confronted over and over and over again related to God's perspective on healing. And I bet if you stop, and my hope over the next four weeks is that we are going to stop and we are going to reflect on this and we're going to let this form us that you and I are going to be challenged in our beliefs not to bend Jesus to what we think, but to bend ourselves to follow him and believe how he believes. I want to believe what Jesus believes, and I bet you do as well. Okay, so the religious leader, the elders come to him, his religious buddies come to him, verse four, and they say to Jesus, they bring out the centurion's resume. They say, hey, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So they're going to God and they're saying, hey, you need to do this because this guy has done this and this and this. They're bringing the religious resume. Now, Jesus goes with them, but we see in verse six and seven that he's not responding to the man's religious resume because the centurion hears what's happened. And he's like, oh, gosh, have you ever sent someone to do something for you and you hear how they did it? And you're like, oh, no, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe my kids said that to this Oh my goodness, right? The centurion must have heard it, so he sends a group of buddies. Look in verse six. So now he sent friends and they tell a completely different story, right? We can have one kind of religious story, but our friends know who we really are, right? And, and they come and they say, hey, we got a message from our buddy. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof, right? His religious buddies were like, God, you ought to do this for him and him and him. Truth of the fact of the matter, the centurion has no uh, uh, kind of claims on God when he's honest. He's just like, I don't deserve to have you do this. I don't, I don't have the religious resume that I've done this and this and this. So now I get one card that's powerful enough to heal my servant because of all the things I've done. I donated enough to I'm a platinum member now and I get that. healing. That's not how it works. He says, I, 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 don't, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. So let's pause here. We're going to see this type of scene over and over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. That there are people that are so religious and so kind of wrapped up in their own self-righteousness and building their own religious resumes and, and their rules that they're going to miss God walking right in front of them. And again and again and again, we're going to see the outsider, the, the, the unlikely, the, the foreigner, the person that you're like, I would have had no idea. Those are the people who have no pretension before God or just like, I'm in need. Please help me. Those are the people that Jesus heals over and over and over again. This is important. God is not a healer because you've crossed your T's and dotted your I's. God is a healer because he's good, not because you're good. We sang that song about his graciousness and his compassion. And it's not like God woke up one day and just said, well, now I'm going to look, look, I'm going to look here at Katie. I'm just going to heal her because I've seen what she's been doing. That's not how he is. Jesus is good and he's merciful and he's loving because that's who he is. And so you can come to God without your religious resume and say, God, I need you. I, I just need you. That's what the centurion did. 
Deeds matter, works matter in Christianity, but they're not the foundation of our relationship with God. It's the grace of God in the gospel that's the foundation of our relationship with God. And then our deeds, our works are built on top of that. So he says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. I want you to focus in on this phrase. Lean in on this phrase with me. It's amazing. So he's saying to Jesus, he's saying, hey, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know if you're going to heal him. I don't know the outcome of my request. What I know is that if you want to, Jesus, you have the power to do this. I know if you want to, you have the power. So I'm going to ask and see if you want to. Now look at Jesus' response. You're going to have to scroll down or you're going to have to, uh, if, on your phone, or you're going to have to look in your Bible uh, at verse 9. Jesus, when he hears this, he's amazed at the centurion. And he turns to the crowd following him and he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So Jesus hears this guy who says, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't have any claims on the outcome. What I know is if you want to, you can heal him. And Jesus says it's that level of faith that is great faith, that it's amazing faith, that it wows Jesus. You want to know some good news? As I was reading this, I was like, I have that level of faith. I don't know the outcomes. I don't know the, what's going to happen out of our prayers or out of our coming to the Lord. And for so long, I realized, I felt like I've, it's been my responsibility to know the outcomes. And so I've just kind of shrunk back. But as I read this, I was like, that's not what God is asking of me. It's not what he's asking of you. Like the outcomes are beyond our pay grade. Like that's not your job. Your job is not to make someone healed. Your job is not to work a miracle. But I have great faith, and I bet there are hundreds of people in our church that do as well that would say, Jesus, I believe if you want to, you can do it. I believe if you want to, you can do anything. So I want you to know you're a person of great faith today. Jesus looks at you, my son, my daughter. Wow, you have amazing faith. I'm so pleased with you. You have amazing faith. Man, I'm a gifted person in the area of faith, and you are too. That's exciting. And you may say, well, I actually, I don't know if that's really true, if, if you really could do that. Well, guess what? The servant here, we don't see anything about his faith. He just had a friend that believed that for him. And I can just tell you, if you don't have that faith, I can connect you with hundreds of people in this church that will be your friend and will have that level of faith for you. Jesus, if you want to, you can do it. I don't know if you want to, but I'm going to bring it to you and we'll see what you're going to do. Okay, so this is a place of faith and we'll help you if you feel like you're not even there. But many of you, in fact, I would argue probably most of you are at this level of faith that amazes and pleases Jesus. Great faith. So in verse 10, then the men who had been sent returned to the house and they found the servant well. So Centurion sends his buddies. Jesus, I don't know if you want to, but I know if you want to, you can heal my friend. And what's the response of Jesus? I want to. How many of you know that God's desire and willingness to heal supersedes kind of our own even belief of his willingness to heal? That the over and over and over, the revealed word of God, the Bible testifies again 
and again and again that God's desire is to heal people. So our job is just to come and just say, Jesus, I know if you want to, I don't know what you're going to do. That's beyond me and it's more complex than my brain works. But I know if you want to, you can heal them. And then it's God's job to do what God wants to do. And so many times what we see is that it's healing in the moment. If it's not in the moment, it is at the resurrection of the dead. All are healed who come to Christ. That's amazing. Now, you might be asking, well, okay, Zach, that, that's cool. Uh, I, I like that. I'm a man of great faith. Healing? That's great. Uh, does this ever happen anymore? Like, does this really, you know, beyond like someone had a headache because they didn't drink enough water and then prayed for them and they went and drank some water and the headache was gone. Does this, does this, really, does this really happen? Well, you're going to have to come back next week because I'm going to share with you a testimony from within our own church that will leave your jaw on the floor at right, the goodness and the healing power of God. And actually, every week in this series, we're going to be sharing testimonies from within our own congregation of people who have encountered the healing power of Jesus physically, some mentally, some relationally, different ways that God heals. So I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to respond. Normally we close each service with a, a kind of a time of prophetic ministry. We're going to do something a little different today. Uh, I believe that if you're in here, that you might be in the place of the centurion. Where you've got a crisis in your life and you're needing God to heal. And you're like, man, I, that's me. And we want to believe with you for healing today. You might be the servant you might say, I don't, I, I don't know about my faith, but I came with a buddy and your buddy wants to pray for you and believe uh, that you're going to encounter the healing power of Jesus. And some of us, there's going to be someone in our path this week that we come across that you're going to feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Maybe to share your testimony, maybe to pray for them, maybe to, I don't know, do, do something, kind of reach out, take a risk. And I want you to be filled with boldness. Realize your testimony matters. So I'm going to pray for all of us. If you'll close your eyes, bow your head, and just kind of hold your hands out like you're receiving something, because I believe you are receiving. Jesus, we thank you that you're a healer. We thank you that the revealed will of God is to heal every person. Thank you that you're that good. Lord, please uh, forgive us where we, don't, uh, where we doubt your character. God, and I pray that we'd be a community of people that don't know outcomes and don't claim to have a hold on you to say, you should do this. But we would be a group of people that have enough faith to come to you and say, hey, I know if you want to, you can do all things. And we're so thankful that your desire is expressed over and over and over again as you want to. So I pray for every one of my friends that feels like they're the centurion in this deal, that they're in crisis, that they're sick, that they're struggling, they're a centurion servant or son, Lord, I'm asking that they would be healed in Jesus' name. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be people of great faith and that we would take risks to share our testimonies with others who need your healing touch. We love you, Jesus. Amen.